The following program is presented to you by the New York State School Boards Association. NISBA's President's Gavel Podcast is supported by the Harris Beach Educational Institution's team of attorneys. Harris Beach successfully represents more than 130 school districts and BOCES clients throughout New York State on matters involving school district operations, labor and employment matters, cybersecurity, and student issues. Learn more at www.harrisbeach.com. Running an effective school board meeting may look slightly different from district to district, but the need to understand how to lead effectively in a polarizing climate is universal. In this episode of the President's Gavel, Darcy and Harris Beach attorney Laura Purcell are talking open meetings law, video conferencing, public comment sessions, and much more. Stay with us. Let's call this meeting to order. Hello, everyone. Welcome to NISBA's President Gavel Podcast, a podcast for all school board members. I'm your host, Darcy Dercoli, Director of Leadership Development at the New York State School Boards Association. Today, we're talking about how to run effective meetings. This is a common question that we hear from our members, and in today's climate, we hear this question being asked more and more. My guest today is Laura Purcell. Laura is an attorney specializing in school education law with our podcast sponsor, Harris Beach, PLLC. I'm happy to welcome Laura to the show today. Welcome, Laura. Thanks, Darcy. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. And so I want to talk a little bit about running effective meetings today. And so running effective meetings encompasses many things, but I want to start off with one of the basic foundations for running school board meetings, and that is the open meetings law. Can you explain to our audience today something about the open meetings law? Sure. So the open meetings law um, is found in the New York State Public Officers Law, actually, and it was put in place to facilitate the public observance of the workings of government, not just school boards, but all levels of government, and to prevent the deliberate exclusion of the public from being able to observe the governmental process. So, the fundamental premise of the open meetings law is that any person who is interested in the deliberations of a public body may be present to view and listen to such deliberations as they occur. So at its simplest, this means that the members of the public may attend school board meetings, regardless of their identities or residence in the school district. And the open meetings law provides a number of procedures that schools must follow to notice meetings, to ensure that the public understands when and where meetings will take place, and um, now contains a provision um, that allows um, the public to see information that will be voted on by boards of education um, at those meetings. And so tell us what exactly is a meeting? So a meeting means the official convening of a public body for the purpose of conducting public business. Um, that includes the use of video conferencing for attendance and participation by members of the public body. So really any 
um, any meeting at which um, public business uh, will be transacted or there will be deliberations leading to the transaction of public business would be considered a meeting under the open meetings law. Um, as you know, certainly um, there are specific categories of information that can be considered um, uh, in a private session, in an executive session, not during the public session of a meeting, um, but uh, there are specific procedures for letting the um, public know that the Board of Education will be going into an executive session to consider those topics. So as you think about what a meeting is more practically, you know, this is the, the time that the Board of Education processes really important business. You are considering personnel recommendations and making appointments. You might be considering um, budgetary matters, financial transactions. It could be something like the closing of school buildings. You hear from administrators or other members of the district's workforce on important initiatives in the district. You may hear from students um, who give you information about programs that they're participating in. And then one of you know, the important areas for school board meetings is that you hear from the public regarding issues of concern within uh, the school district. And I think for purposes of our conversation today about running effective meetings, this is where things have gotten a bit difficult for school boards in particular. So, you know, boards of education have really always been at the forefront of issues incurring within, within the district or the community, but school boards have really been identified as a place where individuals and groups um, can use public comment or other perhaps disruptive tactics to advance positions on issues that are of concern. Whether or not that is a specific issue in the district, it very well may be, but it could be um, more a state or a federal issue. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've seen that because, you know, we are required to be in that public forum, uh, according to the open meetings law. Uh, we have seen a tendency for this to happen over the last couple of years in some of our communities, not in all, but certainly in some. And as well, we have seen greater use of video conferencing. That's another phenomenon of the pandemic um, to respond to that and to keep in compliance with the open meetings law. Um, school boards first you know, hit a few bumps in the road, but they did learn how to run effective meetings virtually. And a nice result of that actually was some of our communities were allowed to participate more conveniently and engage with their school board uh, remotely or from home. And I think a lot of them really appreciated that opportunity. And so tell us a little bit, uh, if you can, Laura, about what's new for board members around video conferencing. Sure. Well, I, it, as you know, uh, Darcy, um, over um, the past, uh, past number of months, school boards have continued to be allowed to use video conferencing through um, the extensions of an executive order of Governor Hochul. And really what has been in place throughout the pandemic um, for the use of video conferencing has um, been allowed to continue. Everyone is attending by video conferencing um, and there are certain procedures by which um, boards must um, allow people to participate in the video conferencing. 
um, as well as um, to then record the meetings and provide minutes of those meetings. But what has now happened um, as a part of the budget bill that Governor Hochul signed on April 9th, there will be an amendment to the open meetings law um, regarding the use of video conferencing for public bodies, including school districts. So the new section um, is really, I believe, an attempt to bridge from the old rules um, and then the use of the rules um, during the pandemic under the executive order to what we can as governmental bodies use moving forward. So it's kind of going from two different extremes, attempting to find a middle ground um, because there is a recognition um, once we got past the initial hurdles to the use of video conferencing in all contexts, um, that it is um, useful. It's useful for the public to be able to attend the meetings. Um, it, it may also be useful for um, boards of education in terms of being able to conduct meetings with all of, or most of its members present when they wouldn't otherwise be able to do so. So, um, the, the one thing that I think that um, we don't want to get away from is though that actual in-person meeting attendance and what the budget bill um, appears to be doing is saying that that in-person meeting attendance is still an important part um, of a governmental body's operations. Um, so it's not getting rid of the requirement um, generally that meetings have, um, have um, a, a physical presence of members of um, that body. So within, if boards of education wish to allow video conferencing moving forward, there's a process that they need to go through, which will be to develop procedures for the use of video conferencing. Under those procedures, a minimum number of board members need to be present to fulfill quorum requirements in the same physical location or locations that are going to be accessible to the public. So when I said that, we don't wanna get away from the actual physical presence and having an in-person meeting. That's what I mean by that. Um, board members are expected to be physically present at every meeting absent extraordinary circumstances. And the law talks about extraordinary circumstances that might include disability or illness, caregiving responsibilities, or any other significant or unexpected factor or event which precludes a member's physical attendance at the meeting. So there's some leeway for which a board can decide what reasons are appropriate um, for a board member to engage in video conferencing rather than in-person attendance at a meeting. It will not probably be the same from board to board. There is flexibility um, for boards in terms, um, in terms of those requirements as a part of their procedures. Um, once the board develops its procedures in accordance with um, the requirements as set forth in the budget bill, they need to hold a public hearing on those procedures and then adopt a resolution that authorizes the use of video conferencing. Now a board does not have to do this. They can choose whether or not to allow the use of video conferencing. I would think that most probably would, um, but um, you're not required to do so. Um, but once you pass that resolution, then you will follow those procedures moving forward. 
Um, I will tell you that you have a bit of time. I think everybody was worried about whether or not um, uh, the executive order will be extended again, allowing the use of video conferencing before you got these procedures in place. And certainly there is going to be uh, some time necessary to do so. And in fact, um, there is a provision which extends the use of um, the procedures that you've been following under the executive order um, for 60 days. So until about June 9th. So that gives you some time to put procedures in place. Um, I think the one other thing, Darcy, that's important about this is that um, the amendments to the open meetings law are in effect for video conferencing up until July 1st of 2024. And the reason for that is that the Committee on Open Government has been charged with providing feedback and recommendations to the governor and various other um, leaders in the state as to the implementation of these new, um, new provisions and any recommendations for change that might be necessary. So, you know, the thought is this, this is, should be an effective um, tool for, um, for school boards and other governmental entities moving forward. But let's see how this works. And then if, if changes are necessary, um, the law can be uh, modified as appropriate. Well, that's really great to hear. And it does sound like they've been very thoughtful about how to make video conferencing work if and when it's needed um, by still also making sure that the public has a right to see and hear the deliberations of our, of our board members. So that's really good news. Darcy, there was one more thing I wanted to mention about the requirements for video conferencing moving forward that are in the budget bill. Um, and that it's very clear that at meetings in which public comment or participation will be a portion of that meeting, the public who is attending the meeting by video conference has to have a means to participate in that public comment. Thank you, Laura. That's really great to hear. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit because I know you touched on public comment a little bit earlier, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into how can we help board members better manage their public comment sessions. In particular, it's been very challenging for the board presidents. So what would you suggest? I think it's a really good thing to think about, Darcy, because um, while much of the public comment and the disruption perhaps at board meetings over the past 18 years, uh, or excuse me, 18 months to two years has been about um, mask mandates or the safety protocols um, that school districts had in place um, during the pandemic, um, it's, you know, the, there, there are a number of issues that school districts um, will be facing moving forward. Um, that probably are going to um, provide, uh, could provide some difficulties in terms of that public comment process. So if you think about it, um, it could be um, DEI efforts in your school, um, equating that with CRT. It could be challenges to the use of certain instructional materials or materials that are in your library. Um, could be, um, uh, accommodations for LGBTQ students um, within the educational setting or perhaps athletics, right? Just if you, if you think about what the um, hot button issues are 
locally and then nationally. And then certainly you'll have this, the, the issues that um, always seem to be present. Um, it could be budgetary issues. It could be closing of school buildings. It could be personnel decisions, especially when they involve um, coaches in the district. So, um, you know, I, I guess what, what I'm saying there is that, you know, the, the, um, uh, the need for having some some good planning about um, about how you approach um, public comment periods um, has not gone away simply because the mask mandate has been eliminated. So um, so with respect to that, um, I think you need to we need to first consider um, uh, what are the things that you can or cannot do with respect to restrictions on public comment because that's become um, a, a big issue um, for board presidents in terms of you know, managing this. Um, the use of video conferencing allows a number of people, including many outside of the district, um, to attend your meetings and offer their views on things. Do we need to do that? What are some appropriate restrictions so that we have some good policies and procedures in place um, that board presidents can follow when they are trying to manage um, public comment. So um, one of the things we started off with was saying was that you can't restrict attendance um, under the open meetings law, but you can have reasonable restrictions on public comment. So some very typical things that school districts and other entities do is have time limitations for speakers. And it's important that you have those time limitations set forth in advance, that you don't start applying them just when you know that there is a hot button issue, right? You wanna make sure that they are there and clearly communicated. You could impose a limitation on the number of speakers on each subject matter. One of the things that happens sometimes is that you have 15 to 20 people who want to offer you um, an opinion on a particular topic. And you certainly don't want to, um, to limit um, um, public comment in that we just don't want to hear about that anymore. But what you also um, have to recognize is that um, you know you want to make sure that you're hearing all views on a topic and you don't want any one topic to become the dominant thing that occurs um, at a meeting. Um, one of the questions we have gotten um, uh, quite a bit is whether or not we can limit speakers based upon residency. Um, because the feeling is, is that really we, our, our residents really should primarily be the ones who are providing information to the board. So the Committee on Open Government really um, advises against limiting speakers based upon residency. But Committee on Open Government um, opinions are advisory only. So the New York state law does not contain um, such a prohibition on a restriction such as that. And in fact, there's a 1992 commissioner's decision which upheld a residency restriction for public comment. So it is something to consider, um, but perhaps rather than having a bright line restriction um, on public comment based upon residency, um, in terms of establishing your protocols for public comment, think about individuals who have a reasonable interest in addressing the board, right? Certainly district residents um, um, have a reasonable interest in addressing the board. Um, parents or guardians of current students um, have a reasonable interest in addressing the board. And um, certainly, um, you know, they may or may not be residents of your district given, um, you know, um, 
given uh, joint custody um, situations. Um, district employees um, certainly have um, an interest in addressing the board and persons who own property in the district. And so as you know, you're processing through um, your public comment procedures, you may want to focus um, on those groups, especially when you have issues um, where you're having a great deal of public comment and, and think about allowing those individuals to be the primary commenters um, on topics. Thank you, Laura. I really like that way of really thinking through the circumstances, the situation, the people, your community members, etc. Because it's never a one size fits all, right? We really do have to be sensitive to where our community is at and what's happening mm -hmm. at the time and really use some of those critical thinking strategies so that we know how to appropriately respond and respond well. Mm -hmm. I think I'd like us to maybe talk a little bit more in detail, perhaps, about some of the strategies for um, public comment and just in general how we really can manage public comment. We've, we've heard a lot of conversation about it. We know that we have lessons learned. We really want to walk into the future knowing how we can improve this, this process and how do we create a good public comment session that's not overrun, but is also being respectful and is also a helpful way for the board members to still hear from the community, but do their business at the board table, which they are required to do. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, I think that, you know, you used the phrase a little bit earlier about there's no one size fits all. I would say that about school boards, right? You all have um, your communities and you have different um, uh, personalities, identities, characteristics. And so, um, so th there are things that have worked in some districts and haven't worked in other districts. But I think now is a really good time to take a look at, at those things and engage in planning and then um, and work in terms of in terms of these issues. So, um, really good topic for board retreats that might be taking place um, this summer. But here's some things that you could think about as you're as you're working through it. So, you know, I think that the the first thing um, is um, uh, as you're considering um, at your reorganizational meetings this summer. Um, your board officers, um, one of the you know, requirements that I think is crucial now is that a board president or in the absence of uh, the president, the vice president, um, really needs to be effective um, in their ability to lead meetings, right? And to deal with unexpected situations, control their own emotions, be able to think quickly in the heat of the moment. You know, a lot of us have different skill sets. And so um, when you're thinking through who, who should be in that officer role um, and who will be working um, with the superintendent probably to gain control of meetings or to, to make sure things are managed appropriately, I think you need a really effective leader in that role because that's where, um, that's where you're going to, um, to start. The next thing that boards need to do, if they haven't done so already, is really think through the protocols and rules that they have for their meetings generally, um, and then for public comment specifically. Um, so that, you know, you, uh, number one, you're familiar with them, um, but think back 
to things that have happened over the course of the past, you know, 18 months and what things within our protocols um, are effective or what do we need to be thinking about more, um, you know, in terms of levels of response. I think there's things that you can do to plan um, in advance for when, you know, for perhaps uh, what a topic is gonna be. Um, you know, if you have a certain policy coming up that may cause um, some discussion um, that, 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 that there, there are going to be opposing views on um, or a lot, of, a lot of different views that um, you should be prepared for that, right? You, um, or if there's an issue, um, if somebody is objecting to um, a library material and you know that there's a lot of community discussion about it or it's gotten in the media. So monitor social media. Your communications people can do that for you. Know what might be coming up at your meeting so you can prepare in advance to address certain comments um, or for um, potential for needing a larger space in which to meet so people aren't so crowded in together um, or for just alerting your security to be on standby not to not, not to necessarily take any action but to um, but to be on standby so you know the social media Darcy uh, is one of the best ways honestly to get information um, about what might be discussed the board should not become the story with respect to a public comment period um, that is occurring. Um, if, if it's, you know, there, there can be valid discussions about um, the ways in which a school district might address an issue. Um, and that's, that's great, right? That, that, that should be taking place, that discussion. But you don't want the board's um, response to that to be the story. Right. And so if I can just interrupt you for a minute, Laura. So I agree with you. The board should never be the story. And I believe every board member should go through some kind of training or do some kind of research on de-escalation. We've heard this word quite a bit lately. How do we de-escalate if things start to become very heated in the boardroom? And so very simply, things like how do you respond to people with that kind of attentive listening or reflection or psychologically how do you align or find a point of agreement try to be somewhat of an ally acknowledge a grain of truth or redirect to find some kind of common ground so there's more of a sense of unity there and there are some really clear nonverbal techniques that we want to make sure everybody's aware of trying to appear calm slowing down your voice slowing down your tone or or moderating it and making sure that you don't appear to be the aggressor. A very simple technique also is to have a table set up with a microphone for your community member to sit down with you so you're all at the same level of eye contact and it sort of helps kind of pull out any tensions that might be in the room um, by asking them just to sit down at the table with you. So there are various different techniques. They're easy to research online, um, but it's a technique that I think nowadays every board member should be aware of. I think you're exactly right, uh, Darcy. I think that if, you, that if board members um, think about the, um, the administrators that they work with in the district, 
um, and think about the administrators who are particularly skilled, right, um, in um, engaging um, with people in discussion and that responsive listening and um, also modeling that appropriate behavior, no matter how difficult the situation can be can become. You can you can really tell, yeah, that that is those are some things that probably would help. And I think most of us, um, if we're not really in education, um, maybe we've gotten that within within our trainings that we've gotten through other professional organizations or other community organizations that we've been involved with. But I think it is um, it is really critical. And it's not that's not just for the board president and vice president. That's for everybody, right? You know, right. I think one of the things that all of us had to be a little bit more careful about in attending meetings um, uh, after after the mask mandate was removed was, you know, just even reacting with facial expressions, right? Because we became a little bit more used to, you could, you know, you were hidden behind that mask a little bit more. So even things like that, your facial expressions, comments under your breath, things like that, um, can certainly elevate a situation when you don't want to have that happen. Some other things to think through is, you know, would be when is it appropriate to call law enforcement in to your meeting, right? Um, again, if it's a safety issue, absolutely. If it's less than that, is that very effective? Um, you know, what, you know, where does that case go after somebody is removed from a meeting? And, and a lot of times, um, the prosecution of those cases um, has not been um, very successful. Um, is, you know, is there a way to um, even not have your security um, have to address people at a meeting? If, if someone isn't necessarily following the rules but is, um, is not uh, so disruptive that it's impacting the meeting, do you communicate with them afterwards, right, about, um, about a restriction on property as opposed to trying to deal with it right there in the meeting. So think through some alternate ways that you might handle a situation where it's not going to um, elevate the situation that is, is right there. And then just the final thing that I would say that I thought was a really good, uh, really good idea that one of uh, my districts did was they, they wrote a letter to the community from the board about what board meetings are, why they're important, why they want public participation, but what they would like, what the expectations for that would be. And they published it and they got a lot of good feedback about it. Um, and it did, I think, set the tone um, for the board meetings in that district. Now they, they did it in response to a pretty difficult meeting, um, but it was an effective tool for that board to use. I think that's a great idea. It, it goes right to the thing that we usually say when we're doing retreats and other trainings with boards is that part of your role is to help educate the public, to help them really understand who you are, what you're about, that you are there for them, but there's only so much authority you as an individual board member might have, et cetera. So educating the community about who you are and how to come and participate is a great great idea. And I think it goes right along the lines of engaging the public, trying to help build those linkages and relationships with them as well. So, you know, as much as we all plan for meetings and hope that things go well, even the best laid plans sometimes go awry. So what would you suggest if something goes wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, if something goes, if something goes wrong, uh, I think you have to acknowledge it, 
and then look at it, right? What went wrong? Um, what, what can we do better to handle a situation? Do we need more training? What do we need to think through? Um, you know, educational institutions, um, educators are very good at table tapping issues, right? And doing exercises to kind of say, what makes sense in those situations? I think boards um, it, working um, with the superintendent and their district clerk and perhaps their director of security and um, it could be your communications person. What, what things could have helped us to get through that better, right? What do we want to do? What don't we want to do? Um, and then, and, and be honest about it. You know, it, 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 like you said, the best laid plans, right? Um, it, it, you know, you never know um, uh, what will happen, um, but be prepared. And then, you know, if something doesn't go the way you want it to go, then, then see if there's any adjustments that you could have made. You know, some of our best boards do meet at least once or twice or sometimes three times a year, and they are regularly reviewing their board operating protocols and procedures mm -hmm. and talking about what happened at their board meeting the last time and how could they improve it with good ground rules, good eye contact with one another, good planning, and, and trying to make sure that everyone clearly understands the rules of the game here, basically. Mm -hmm. And so those board members who invest that time and energy, um, they have smooth meetings. They have a unified board. Even mm -hmm. though people have um, a right and we want them to have their very different opinions and have that robust dialogue and discussion, we also want to help board members feel like they have made good decisions at the end of the day that they can stand behind. And so um, I want to thank you, my guest, Attorney Laura Purcell with Harris Beach, for joining me on this episode. Thank you, Laura. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. And in closing, if you're interested in learning more about today's topic, don't forget to check out the resources available in today's show notes. And if you enjoyed today's conversation or find yourself tuning in each month, head over to NISBA's Facebook or Twitter. We want to hear from you. Let us know if you liked what we're doing and tell us where uh, you've been listening from and if there's anything else you'd like us to have a conversation about here on the President's Gavel. And this meeting is now adjourned. I would also like to thank my NISBA colleagues working behind the scenes, making it possible to bring this podcast to you. Thank you, Megan DiGennaro, Al Marlin, and Alyssa Maiello. My name is Darcy Dercoli, Director of Leadership Development at the New York State School Boards Association, and this has been a production of NISBA's President's Gavel.